Welcome to the dark forest. Jackie and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions about our obsession will make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the dark forest and dark out for a it's Jackie Cation. Welcome to the Dork Forest. You know the websites, JackieCation.com, DorkForest.com, TheDorkForest.com, FamilyPetAncestry.com, just because. And it made me laugh, I tell you. Anyway, uh, let's do the credits. Mike Rickberg composed and sang the song with his wife, Sarah Cohen, uh, in the beginning of the program. Mike will sing his words to the Mexican hat dance at the end of the program. Vilmos fixes my website, JackieCation.com, and Patrick Brady fixes the audio. And so I appreciate all of their good works. If you go to JackieCation.com, you can have all all of the things. You can get my calendar of when I'm doing stand-up. You can watch me do stand-up on Conan or some old clips that are on the video page. You can... Oh, get my, you can watch the trailer for my current hour special that is available on comedyfilmnerds.com for download or a regular DVD that you could buy on jackiecation.com. The DVD is the only thing available. You could download it on Comedy Film Nerds or you can get the DVD and those are your choices with the, with the, this will make an excellent Horcrux video. If you want the CD, you can get that at jackiecation.com, but you could also get it on Amazon or iTunes. You probably listen to it for free on Prodigy or Prodigy? I think not. Pandora? Spotify? <laughs> anyway, um, the merch page, the store page on JackieCation.com has t-shirts. It has hoodies. I have all the hoodies in stock if you want. I went and I, I bought three double X's. So if you want a hoodie and you don't want to, there's no back order right now. They are toddler made, but uh, they're very cozy. <laughs> so I wasn't going to keep them in stock. Here we go. Other than that, on JackieCation.com and DorkForest.com, there's a donation button. Feel free to donate if you enjoy the show and you have some money. I would love uh, to get a donation from people. You could do it monthly. I haven't made that easy. You'd have to remember that you like the show every month. And uh, I like the idea of everyone sending me 10 bucks a month for 10 months a year or just 100 bucks or hundreds and hundreds of dollars if you are Oprah and you love the show that much. Um this is March, and this week, holy crap, I am doing my high school. I'm doing stand-up comedy at the South Milwaukee Performing Arts Center. South Milwaukee is a town of 22,000 people outside of Milwaukee. We have our own water treatment plant. Uh, Flint might want to look into that. Anyway, um, yeah, there's a... Uh, it's a small town. It's a small town, and uh, the high school put in a, a real nice... Real nice... Uh, theater and they're calling it the performing arts center and i am putting up a wisconsin comics i'm hosting and then closing a wisconsin comedy show with mary mack who's from northern wisconsin and tom clark who is from milwaukee and myself and a juggler guy who's from madison that rachel source who books the thing knows i don't know him i'm sure he's very nice and he can juggle and that'll be fun for all of us anyway that's not the dis- that's not the thing i'm worried about i'm doing the high school assembly remember assemblies in high school anyway i'll give you maybe i'll do a dork addendum and uh <laughs> tell you exactly how that went because that's silly or i'll talk about it on the comedy podcast i'm doing with Lori kilmartin over at nerdist called the jackie and Lori show if you guys want to listen to me uh bitch about stand-up uh, this is a, this is the dork forest though. So we're going to dork out about something cool, uh, in just a minute. Other than that, I, cause I'm doing South Milwaukee and then I'm, then I'm doing, um, whatever other shows you could find it at JackieCation.com. So 
think that's it, except for the Amazon banner. Feel free to use the Amazon banner on JackieCation.com. Let's get into the show already. Hey, it's Jackie Cation. I'm in my living room, you guys. And uh, here I am in Van Nuys doing the Dork Forest with Sovereign Sire, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. Hi. <laughs> All right. We met doing a storytelling show over at the, the Nerd Melt. Yes, that was my first time on stage. Right, you had never done spoken word on stage or any of that. Mm-mm. It went well. I thought it. it I thought it was, so. It was yeah. a little long. I, I ran a little long. Right, right. You did. <laughs> like, if I remember correctly, like, you did run a little long. It was like twenty six minutes. Jesus H Christ! Did no one tell you? Or? Uh, they did, and I warned them. I said, I, I said, I, you know, I've been practicing it at home, and I, right. I can't seem to get it down. You know, right? Did you? I forget. I do a fair number of these these storytelling shows myself, but I like the ones that have it all written. Like they're like, hey, you should write it out, and then you read it. But this was one that didn't want it written, right? Yeah, they're very like they're very Lucy weird about Goosey, that. Man, yeah. we want it to be, and you're like, well, then it might be 26 minutes. Yeah, I forget where I'm going, and then I weed off, and yeah. Yeah. And plus, I think the story I chose to tell was also just very involved because it was like this. <laughs> I think it, it it took years, didn't yeah. it? Wasn't it, it yeah, a it's like a story, it was a story about falling in love with a con man. So it was like it was like having to like and then this layer and then this layer and then you know right, and like you started in Florida, you went to New York, you yeah. went back to Florida. If, yeah. if I remember correctly, yeah, it was like so. I was like like this story requires a quite a considerable amount of context. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and then so, I got a bot fly. <laughs> and then like, you got a bot fly, like, which also you were down in South America or Mexico. Yeah. Or yeah. Where was it? Belize. Belize. That was yeah. it. Okay. So Sovereign Sire, you guys, it's at Sovereign Sire on yes. Twitter. Mm-hmm. And Sovereign is spelled like Sovereign. Sire yes. is S-Y-R-E. Mm-hmm. And I love Sov.com is your, is your blog and, and yeah. main website. Yeah. S-O-V. I love S-O-V.com. And yeah. so, and you have a podcast on iTunes, you Observations couldn't. by Sovereign Sire. Yeah. On iTunes. So yes. there you go, folks. And we, are going to talk about the yeah the history of uh, the world essentially it's so uh, it's Western yeah. society okay <laughs> when when I because I just well, so it's a very specific so I'm this originally started as a seven novel series I was going to do I I was a uh, I had left school and I kind of didn't know what I was going to do with my life and I got but you the, wanted to write fiction. Well, I, I was always a writer yep. and it was, it was more like it was kind of the only skill I had, you know? So, um, I, I left when I realized I didn't want to be a teacher. I was, okay. a, I was a TA. I hated it. And I realized like, oh, this is it. Like, <laughs> this is what you do. Right. And then you write on the side. So I had left and I was kind of wandering and I came across, um, I'm, I was a double major in uh, sociology and English lit in my okay. undergrad. Yeah. So I had always been very interested. Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Uh, Fresno State. There you go. People um, should know. Yeah. And actually the poetry program I came out of, the last two poet laureates of the United States trained the- and taught there. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. So like I have it was- a friend who teaches theater at Fresno State, actually. What's her name? It's a man. His oh. name is Chris. Hey, Chris, you're listening. <laughs> and I spaced your name. He's married to Jim Keller. Chris. Bolts, B-O-L-T-Z. There you mm-hmm. go. If you have Professor Bolts at Fresno State, <laughs> uh, say hi and tell him uh, we should get together and play uh, some Pathfinder. Okay. Bye. <clears throat> um. So yeah. So I left school and uh, I was reading a Michel Foucault wrote a book called Discipline and Punish, which was about the history of the penal system. Oh wow. And I, and I, and I got really interested in because his he's a philosopher, so his approach to history was kind of including a lot of like social elements, you know, and it was about how we interact with history, how we interact. 
with knowledge, with power, all that kind of stuff. And he was sort of talking about if you look at the history of the penal system, you get all this stuff about the human condition, like, and yeah. our relationship to knowledge. That sounds fat. What's the name of it? Uh, Dis- of- Discipline and Punish. And it's, uh, what's the author? Michel Foucault. Uh, F-U-C-O? F, it's F-O-U. C A U L T. He's French. Okay. There we go. Of course. He's the Michel French guy. Foucault. Foucault. Okay. But, uh, so he was, he had been talking about, I, I just became obsessed with this idea of, um, how much you can learn about the past by studying sort of these social institutions that we create and, and, and how much, uh, yeah, that's serious insight. Yeah, like I, I just, um, I think because being a woman and I loved history, but you know, women's stories throughout history are, they're not told by us. They're not really concerned with us. Right. They're mostly um, lost. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so in this book, there was like a footnote to a footnote about the last guy that was publicly executed in France. And the, but the footnote to the footnote was it was this guy, De Kione, that was a priest who had gotten his girlfriend pregnant and didn't want to get caught by the church. And in a weird kind of suicide pact gone wrong, he killed her, then chickened out, you know, <laughs> cut up the body, you know, and, and there was like a long, you know, like, and, yeah. um, but I, I what was, year was that? It was 1824. Okay. And, uh, and I became interested in the story of that woman. Like what, you know, yeah, wh- who the, is that lady that has Who's an affair with a with priest, a priest. And, yeah. and, and, you know, entrust her life to him and all this. So that kind of got me interested in this idea. Like I wanted to tell that story. I was like, Oh, maybe I could do like sort of a fictionalized, like a historical fiction novel about oh, yeah. that. Like that'd be really great, you know? Um, and in studying that, I came across all this information about, uh, the French Revolution because, you know, this all happened sort of after the revolution and, and, and. But there was a series of French revolutions during the 1800s, right? Right. In 1824, uh, 1824 was when Marquis de Lafayette, uh, came and did his last visit to the United States. He came back from, he was the last, one of the last generals left over from the Revolutionary right, War. Right. And so he did like a 13, or a 15 state tour that lasted 18 months and yeah. he, and people wrote songs about him and Lafayette went all over the United States and people lost their tiny lizard minds about him. Yeah. Anyway, but so, um, 34 was the next, I think, French revolution, but you're talking about the one in 1889. I'm talking about seven, um, 1789, 1789. Yeah. Okay. Because he come from this place, Lyon. And like that had during the French Revolution, there'd been a lot of like counter revolutions and a lot of just like massacres and brutality. Um, there's a guy, Jean Baptiste Carrier, that was a general. Um, well, he was sent out as like a, a pro consul during the revolution to kind of put down this like counter revolution that was happening out in the provinces. Wow. And he had kept a diary. Okay. Of his basically his descent into madness. He was sent out there to to sort of pacify this counter-revolution and ended up, like, imprisoning thousands and thousands of people and would get these letters, like, you have to just, like, kill everybody. Like, execute them all. And um, Hitler got some of his ideas for how he was uh, executing Jews from Carrier's, like, journals How do you spell Carrier, by the way? Uh, Like, like, uh, Carrier. Okay, there we um, go. And so... So then I... Like, like, this thing was like... What was getting me was, was, um, how, like, this, the, the social impact of these things. Like, the guy had killed his girlfriend because it was one of the few ways for an uneducated guy or for a poor guy to, like, get an education and get some sort of power in this world was to be a priest. priest. But that meant he had to take on all of this other shit, which is like, 
you know, yeah, to be celibacy, celibacy and-, and all of that. Right. And, um, I became interested in how these, like, basically these social institutions, like, had created the situation in right. which this terrible crime had occurred. And right. it was all about people just wanting to have access to power or to rise above their circumstances, <laughs> yeah. right? And, and as I went back through the revolution, I was, I just became interested in this idea. And so the, the, uh, the first idea I had was I wanted to do like a series of novels because I was like, oh, what if I like went back like generations and you could sort of see how generationally different love stories are affected by the social circumstances in which they're occurring. Yeah. Um, and then also like talk it, tell it sort of from a female point of view, like get, get sort of get into sort of the lesser known history of women Yeah. and, and the, like the dirty underbelly of history. I thought that right. was like an interesting thesis, like. Yeah, and I think it's it has been traditionally the purpose of historical fiction is to try to go back and tell those stories of women mm-hmm. that that were never told. Yeah, They're just like you know, there were women back then. That's yeah. why there's still people. Well, and- yeah, and it's like like for me, what was really interesting in in researching these as I started kind of formulating like what I wanted to cover and and the scope and the breadth of of what I wanted to do. Um, I found that even researching these stories, it's like you had to be very creative in getting the information you wanted. Like I read a lot of midwife manuals to get a sense of what society was like. Yeah. Because no one's writing about women's intimate lives. But if you go read an old midwife's manual and you start to see how she's writing about sex and how she's writing about conception, you start to go like, oh, like you can almost build a culture around that where you're like, Oh, so this is how women must have talked to each other because okay. it's like, this is what's being addressed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it's, a, it's all, and those were the only diaries that were yeah. being kept kind of. Yeah. But there's, wow. there's a, there's an herbal remedy for a bad husband. Oh, which really? Is, uh, to, which is essentially to poison him. <laughs> like, but they had, sure. they had abortifacients. I they, laugh and laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they talk about, um, the clit. That was a, that was super surprising. There's a midwife manual that's talking about if your wife's not getting pregnant, maybe she's not having orgasms. That's how she becomes more fertile, right? So here's how you do it. She has this little part, and she's you need like, to like you need get to get on it. Yeah, but like that's in a midwife manual, like yeah. from 1804. It's like yeah, so it's really kind of like it was really like, interesting. That is, you know? yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, like so. And the other thing was, you know, people always dismiss. um I think fiction about women or stories about women is like historical fiction is like, Oh, is it a bodice ripper? And so I also felt like I have this pedigree. Yeah. I have like a literary pedigree. Mm-hmm. I want, I want to start to write some stories that like our literature. Yeah. Like, it kind of pisses me off that the minute well, the, the story's about a woman, someone's like, Oh, oh it's a rom- st- Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just a stupid romance novel. Yeah. And you're like, you know what? Uh, I think, uh, all rangers of the dork forest know that I read romance novels. <laughs> I read, I will read a romance novel, uh, but they're very specific. And I mostly read historical fiction, uh, historical romance novels. Yeah. Which are set oftentimes in countries where I don't know the history very well, mm-hmm. just because if the research is bad, I am not distracted. <laughs> then I could just go, Oh, it's a nice story. But what I love quite honestly about romance novels is, the sociopolitical message mm-hmm. in every shitty novel that anyone's ever written, there is always a B plot of an agenda. Yeah. Whether you're reading a James Patterson novel mm-hmm. or you're reading a Stephanie Lawrence novel, mm-hmm. there is a, there's a sociopolitical message, which is in a Stephanie Lawrence novel, it's tolerance. It's, right. Hey, why don't you, uh, family's very important. Why don't you, uh, deal with it? 
and mm-hmm. it'll be fine. I mean, there's, there's always a, there's always a message in yeah. all fiction and, and because everybody's politics or everybody's socio, how they deal with society comes out, whether it's right wing or left wing mm-hmm. or fascist or socialist or whatever it is, it's going to come out. Yeah. Well, you can't hide it. Yeah. And, and I think that like in the stories that I was writing, like the, the theme kept being like power, you know, yeah, like, like, struggles. like, like power struggles, like yeah. how people deal with not having power, Yeah, you know, and how they try to get around it. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up like mapping it back. So like, I just started to learn about this, like, it's a very specific window in history, but I just got really like, you started getting more and more specific. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I realized that I wanted to, because I started to see like a, like a through line and what the through line was back from 1824, just Mm -hmm. going back and all the way back. And I was like, the through line is the age of discovery. It's, it's Columbus landing in, you know, Hispaniola and, and, um, and the Spanish conquest of a new world. And, and at the same, t- like from there, all of those events led up to the age of enlightenment, which is when. So you the know, age of discovery just sort of grabbed you and, and Columbus particularly. Well, I, I, I guess, but it was like going backwards. Cause like, okay, age of enlightenment, like what started that? And so then I kind of started looking back and, and you start looking at like the war of religion. You start, like you start looking at, but a lot of it was like these wars that were really about land in the new world and, and access to, to those resources. Right. And so, and so it's like, but that all brought about, you know, this long series of events brought about like a, sh- a paradigm shift in human consciousness, which led us from magical thinking to like science. a meritocracy. Well, and you science, know? science yeah. and then to, yeah. And, and didactic and yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah. Like, so like, like, and so I was like, well, what if we, like, what if I did a series of stories that kind of tracked, like say one family over seven or eight generations kind of moving through these changes, Oh yeah, you know, and wouldn't that be interesting? That and, would be interesting. And what if I told them like where female characters were sort of these predominant characters and not necessarily always the heroine. Yeah. Like, you know, um, and so I decided to start with the Spanish conquest of Florida because I started looking to him like, when did we really get like a foothold in America? And it was when it wasn't necessarily when Ponce de Leon found Florida, but it was when the Spanish decided that they were going to settle own and, it. and, yeah. and harvest. Yeah. <laughs> and, so it's, that- and it all, but it also started with women. Cause so what happened was, yeah. Um, there was the war of religion was going on and, uh, the Huguenots, Huguenots, the, oh, right. The, the British, uh, uh, the, Normandy, the Protestants. yeah, the Protestants, so the Protestants reformation uh, were not safe in France, right. which was a Catholic country. Catherine de Medici was, was sort of the mother-in-law that was kind of yeah. all up in it. I have, by the way, access to some of these names in my head and I'm like, it's sort of 13, I don't know when. Anyway, so what, so, so if anyone is, is yelling at their iPod because they happen to know more about this, listen to a different fucking episode. Yeah. Cause we are going to meander around some historical dates yeah. if I, like, if I need to. We're going to fudge some, fudge some yeah, stuff. Yeah. And uh, it'll be fun because, because yeah. we're talking about the bigger issue and it's yeah. fascinating. Okay. So, um, so the, the Florida, so, okay. One of the things of all the stories that I've written is, is like that it's things aren't what you think they are. Like people think that slavery was like, well, it was like the times. And I'm like, Bartholomew de la Casas was this guy. I 
think it was like the late 1500s, early okay. 1600s, that was petitioning like the Pope and stuff saying like, we need to treat slaves better. Like slavery is wrong. Yeah. Like, so the idea that like, oh, people accepted slavery and then one day they didn't. It's like, no, like since its inception, it has been a hotly debated issue yeah. among like the, the, the cultures in which it exists. Like people yeah. have always had an ethical problem with it. Yeah. People have always had an ethical, I mean, back to, 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 Everywhere, Byz- Byz- Byzantine yeah. times. It doesn't matter if you're in Persia, in BC. The right. Jews not psyched about being slaves. The people right. who kept them as slaves uh, had some <laughs> issues and didn't want to have slaves. Not all of them. So right. yeah, so yeah, that's that's fascinating. So who who was the guy who uh, petitioned Bar- Bartolomeo Bartolome uh, de la Casas? It's a Got Spanish it. name. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, when Florida was first found, uh, the reason that Spain didn't like get a foothold in that was because the natives were too hostile. So this whole thing about like that, like Indians were just like, Oh my God, you're amazing gods. Like that wasn't happening in Florida. They were like, fuck you. Fuck you. You're taking (laughs) your land. uh, They they fought. They were better fighters. They were guerrilla fighters. And also like, what tribe is what? what, um, what were some of the tribes, many different tribes. It's mainly accepted that the Timoqua, Indians were who they encountered. They were like tall, covered in tattoos and looked a lot like something that might come out of the Amazon. Okay. You so know. they were from South America originally, but I, had they, migrated they up. They think so. They okay. think so. Um, and, uh, but they were giant native Americans. They, they were, were like, and they were big time warriors. If you, yeah, if you look at, um, like the, the okay. French, the French like had a different approach for colonization. So the French were very curious about the people that they were trying to live <laughs> with. And so, um, among the the colonists that came over from France, there were uh, artists and what we would call, I guess, sociologists or naturalists that would go out and like sketch them. And so there's some famous. I think the guy's name is Fry. Um, is a uh, he was a um, Flemish uh, engraver that kind okay. of engraved over these illustrations, and they became very famous. So you can go online and look up Timucua, and you'll see. How do you spell Timucua? T i m u C U A. Got it. Um, if you like, you'll see these famous kind of like they're covered in tattoos. They're very tall. And, like the Spanish and the French look like really tiny next to them, but it, it shows them playing lacrosse, hunting alligators, uh, barbecuing barbacoa. That's where we get the term barbecue. Okay. Um, so where was I going with that? So, um, so the, the natives, like the first thing yeah, they, they didn't just roll over and hand people. Corn. They were can, they were cannibals. Yeah. They were also, um, amazing athletes. They were farmers. Um, they, they had, uh, they had all the parts of society is mm-hmm. what you're saying. They okay. were, they were, uh, they Did had, they have a written language or no, no, they okay. had realms. They had, they had a, they lived along the rivers that, that are all over Florida. A lot um, of trading. Yeah. So yeah. they like a lot of, and they had experience. They, a lot of them spoke Spanish and French because the shipwrecks were fairly common and between Bimini and Cuba and in the tip of Florida, like, so there was even like, you know, they had seen white people before. They, some could speak the language. There are a couple of stories of Span- Spaniards that shipwrecked and like lived with the Timucua for like 17 years. And then the next ship came by and they like went back home. Like that was right. kind of like right, right. an experience that would happen to people. Right. But- so it wasn't like, it, it wasn't like the Iroquois up north where they were like, who the hell are these guys? Right. Well, uh, they're probably, there's not going to be that many of them. Right. These, the, the Floridian, the, the Native Americans who lived in Florida. They were, were like, like, oh no, there's a shitload we're, of these we're, guys. We're, we're talking. We're in a net. <laughs> and so that was a big thing was like, they, they were talking to each other. So they were in a network. They were trading that the rivers allowed them to have this kind of network in which they could, you know, 
across the panhandle and whatever. Wow. Um, so the Spanish couldn't like get a foothold there. Also the hurricanes, the weather, like, like everything about it was just like inhospitable, but it was right. beautiful. Sure. So, um, and, and when is this? Is this, this early is, 1500s? This is, so Ponce de Leon, I think it was, uh, don't hold me to this. It was like, 1513. Okay. Early 1500s. That Let's he, go with it. That he landed there. Um, and it wasn't till about 1563, 64 and 65. So what happened there was, so back to the French people, they are fleeing religious persecution or whatever. And so they start trying to get footholds in the new world, like these little colonies and a little French colony had popped up in what is now Jacksonville, Florida. Really? Yeah. And so that was 1563. It was a couple missions there, but, uh, they had a different approach to dealing with the natives, which is they studied them. They would it communicated with them. They were interested in their culture. They, there's oh, more integration and more working with. Yeah. Like there's a Rene Laudonier was the guy that, that was sort of in charge of it. And he wrote a book called three voyages, which I read recently. And it almost reads like Anthony Bourdain. It's like, it's, it's amazing <laughs> how it holds up. Okay. But it's this kind of going in and like, then they eat this. The women look like that. We encountered some hermaphrodites, <laughs> which is like, there were, um, among the Timoko, there were people, men could choose to also live as women. Okay. Um, and they would dress that way. And they were generally like, the healers, the medicine men that would go like during war because women would okay. go out on the battlefield. They would be the ones to go out and take care of everybody. What's, what's the book that the three, three voyages and the name of the uh, author? Rene Laudanier. I'm probably okay. totally. Well, people can Google it. The, yeah. Google around. Everyone yeah. knows that. So, so they came over and they basically, they, they kind of had a, a foothold. Like they, they got in and, and they were, they had relationships with the natives, with the Timucua, um, and were doing good and word got back to Spain uh, that the French had done what the Spanish could not. Yep. And so, uh, the king at the time was like, uh-uh, like, well, <laughs> like, no, <laughs> we're no, 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 go no. Back. Now we're, we're gonna go. like, now we have to because they can't, they can't right. beat us at this. And so, long story short, he sent, he sent this guy Menendez out to, uh, his, said, you can, if you fund the voyage, cause they were broke, Spain was broke. So right. he said, if you fund it, like, you can have it. Basically, okay. like you'll, you'll be the governor, your family will be set up. It'll be all good. Like that kind of stuff. Right. And like, so, just, um, just get over there. Yeah. And he's like, the main thing is like, just get rid of, get rid of the French. Oh, and get rid like, of the French. Yeah. Get over there. Kick them out. That's our land. Okay. Kick them out and establish, you know, a colony there. And, and because there was also fear that if the French settled in there, there was like piracy was still a big issue. And they're like, if they get, if they get like a little, a little spot there, then like piracy, yeah. you know, pirates are going to be able to hide there. Yeah. And, it's a nice and, haven. Yeah. So, um, when I was reading about this story, I was struck by, so they, uh, landed, uh, they, on August, I'm not, I'm going to fudge the date. They landed, the Spanish landed in 1565, uh, on, I think it was St. Augustine's feast day. That's why they named it St. Augustine. They settled in a Timucua village called Saloy, okay. which they, they turned into San Augustine, which still exists today. Um, and in the midst of probably one of the worst hurricanes on record, they marched 40 miles to the north where the French were. And uh, the French had seen the Spanish coming. So they had sent all their men out on ships to, like, go meet them. Yep. And so they had left their fort basically undefended, just women, children, and sick old people. Okay. And and uh, so they marched 
through this hurricane, like slaughtered every- land. Yeah. Slaughtered everybody. Like, cause they basically like, they saw the hurricane coming and they're like, if we, if we bank on going on foot, they're probably going to send people like, cause they had seen each other. They're, they're right. going to, they're going to send their people this they're gonna way. They're going to think we're going to go out to sea. Right. And, and so we can, by- we can do it this way. And it's like, well, one fell swoop and it worked. And when I was reading the narrative though, they're talking about like, but they saved the women and children. And then, you know, like, uh, brought them back down to St. Augustine. Like the they, Spanish they, they did not kill the they spared women them. and children. Well, that's what they said. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and so I tried to look up all this information I could about yeah like, what happened to those people like that, and and there was like nothing. I was like, well, what would happen to someone if Who, if, if would they get would, would they just be then integrated into Spanish society? Because I mean, first of all, they saved the women and children. I don't know that I believe that. I don't think they did. I think that because they, how are you going to feed, you, you know, when, when you, when you back. come out, like, you gotta, you, yeah, you got to march them back 40 miles in, yeah. in hurricane season. Yeah. And, and in the North, the British were burning the Pequot alive. Right. So in, yeah. And so, yeah, no mercy. I, I just, I didn't I mean, buy it. They were French. So maybe, but not, I don't, I mean, maybe three people. Right. <laughs> I mean, they might right. have saved like a handful of people, but yeah. that's not. Yeah. And, and like, and I was like, and, and I was like, it's amazing how women just disappear. And then there was like, I was reading a book about Menendez and about his, his journeys over. And there was like a footnote to a footnote and it was talking about, uh, a, a soldier in St. Augustine that got in trouble for talking to a prostitute by the fountain in the center of town. And I'm like, that's interesting because in all the, And all the information accounting for which colonists were coming over to St. Augustine, I didn't see any whores listed. Right, right. <laughs> like, they weren't so, on the manifest. Yeah, so I was like, I was like, okay, so it was there, but just no one's talking about it. Yeah. And whores are like, that's like most women that were doing anything interesting were nuns or whores. Right. Like, right. You there, know? There was, like, was the only people earning any living. Yeah. Right. The nuns were reading everything and right. the whores were meeting everyone. Yeah. So. Yeah. And yeah. so I was, I was like, what about those stories? And so like. That's when I got hooked and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I've got it. I've got the story. I'm going to, I'm going to tell a story of a Spaniard that saves one woman, like one woman gets okay. saved and she's a French woman and like, they're going to go native. They're going to, they're going to go into the wilderness together and they're going to have a love story. Okay. And, and so like, that's kind of like how it started, but it was like, it was still, it led, it led you down thousands of pages of historical nonfiction. Yeah. Right. But it, I think it was, it was the idea of like, like I wanted to tell that story of like, okay, if you were a woman and you survived a raid on on right. something like that, what realistically would happen to you? You know, well, like you what, would get raped at right. least once, right, uh, by one person, and then right. the next guy, yeah. I assume, right, <laughs> who's like, Meh, I'll I'll do that too, until you met someone who didn't want. I mean, there were I'm sure that at the same time there were men who did not rape people, right, and and it was, but. I cannot imagine that those women were not attacked. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the thing where it's like, you've got large groups of men that have been at sea for two to three months to get there. And then they get there and unless they're married, they weren't allowed to just bring somebody. So it's like, right. they're, they're going to take advantage of the spoils. Right. They're going to be know? looking for, looking for work, love, something. <laughs> yeah. Orifice, I think I, is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> but that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's kind of, uh, that's how it started. Like, um, and so I wanted to write that as a, a graphic novel because I, I also, oh, okay. I, so that's I, what you're working on now. Yeah. So I wanted to do, um, I wanted to, I had the idea to make the stories kind of match the time in which they exist. And I thought a graphic novel would be an interesting way to 
Oh, to, sort of an illustrated. Yeah, because I'm like, well, people aren't like there's a lot of magical realism. Like the by the time it's to the last story in the series, I I've, I've plotted it out so that it's written in very much like a realistic like there's nothing magic is happening. And in the first story all kinds of magical stuff happens. Like okay. people can see things and like there're messages from God and because I wanted it to kind of match in a way like the time. Right. Like, and the educational arc. Of, yeah. Or the way that humanity was actually yeah. going forth. Yeah. So when does the first one, does the first one start in like 1492? The first one starts in 15, the action of the story starts in 1565. Okay. But there's, it's told through a series of flat, like there's a series of, I also want to do a graphic novel because the first novel is going to, I knew it was going to involve a lot of kind of like, not even flashbacks, but like, okay, stop. Now we're going to go back. It's 1492 and it's the conquistador's grandfather. Okay. You know, and we're going to tell this little slice of a story. Which can be done in, 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 in comics a lot easier. Yeah. Than- yeah. And so, cause it was like when I went to write it, like that, oh, you need a, a nice sepia wash. You put a nice sepia wash over that's a part of the, part of the, the graphics. It's, uh, you do, oh, I, I see what's happening. We're back in time. Well, yeah. Cause it's yeah. I, like the thing I liked about From Hell was that Alan Moore was able to incorporate like a lot of history and arcane stuff just by kind of going like, okay, in this chapter, we're just going to do a tour of, of London and, yeah. and we're just going to have this guy narrating this kind of weird offshoot of It's of the greatest history. thing about comic books, quite honestly, yeah. is that they can be about anything yeah. and you can do them in any damn way you want to do them. Yeah. Because no one's watching. It's like stand-up comedy to some some extent. I mean, no one is paying attention. There's a hundred people that might care unless it goes, unless it goes huge. Right. And so you might as well do the thing you want to do. Yeah. When I feel like too, you know, in, in writing about history, it's like if I'm writing about from 1783 to 1792, like an incredible amount of change happens in like one culture. It's a and like, like, but it's incredible amount of political change happens, you know, like a king is beheaded, like we're no longer acknowledging, you know, like, yeah, monarchies like, fall. Uh, like they kicked out the church. Right. <laughs> like, like it was illegal to believe in God for a minute. Like, like that's a huge amount of change in 10 years, but, but, and that's because of the printing, like, because of all these other cultural changes that are going on. Whereas, you know, if I'm writing about from 1492 to 1604, it takes almost like a hundred years to have the same kind of change go on within like a culture. Right. In terms of like how they're interacting with each other and how they're interacting with their world. Yeah. The, the world has tightened up a lot. I mean, yeah. the changes, the changes got a lot faster because of the technology. Yeah. Like the whole printing press and then, and, and, and that business. Yeah. The business with the, with the printing press. <laughs> well, that's why, like the first story, like I, I, I knew that like I was going to have to be accounting for sort of like much larger tracks of time to kind of like, I have a flashback because there's certain like themes that run through it. So there's a, there's a flashback in the story where we get in like a few pages, the story of, um, of the conquest of the Inca, because it's, it's like important to understand, like, this is how Spanish would, people would like normally take over a country. Mm -hmm. This is kind of normally what the fallout would be like, like it was like, all I know about the Incans was they made roads without, um, 
any sort of mortar. Like they didn't, they, yeah. they, they carved stones so tightly. Yeah. And that they were great runners. Mm-hmm. Peru, right? Yeah. Because you, and like, because you had to convey information to get messages like right, right. quickly. They, you they had were to marathon runners essentially. Yeah. 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 What, what do you? Super high altitude. Right. So it's Peru. So mm-hmm. that is the western side of South America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is uh mountain ranges, right? Um it's like it's well a lot of, yeah, like uh if you go up to like uh Bolivia and and Colombia and in these places it's like it's all it's very mountainous. Okay. Uh and then uh Lima, Peru is like it's literally like right on like the edge. It's on of, a cliff of the overlooking an ocean, right? Yeah, like the jutting, Pacific ocean. jutting headlands, you know. So it's like yeah. there's like a lot of plains, there's mountains, and then as you get towards the Amazon, uh, there's like these deep gorges where like the Amazon is cut through, and then as you go along the Amazon, then it becomes more forested. And and, and was the Incan Empire? Did it go up into Colombia? Yes, it it, it well, so the way that, the Inca were kind of like the Borg. Um, <laughs> Hello, Star Trek. Yeah, Good like work. Uh, we're, we're gonna get in there. <laughs> um, so the Inca were like the Borg. So um, the way that they would deal with like, so when the Spanish arrived, the reason they were able to defeat the Inca so quickly was because the Inca was already in the midst of like a civil war. It was like two feuding brothers that were like both, uh, you know, the emperor basically like vying okay. for power. Yep. And the Inca civilization was actually the Borg. They had sort of arisen and then would kind of take over villages, village by village. They would sort of take over any kind of, you know, like the, the way that America, like, the American Indians were easily defeated was the tribes didn't ever really have like a anything cohesive, anything yeah. cohesive. So um the Inca basically fixed that. Right. So the Inca was actually a network of tons of conquered people. Right. That had. uh And so th- what they would do is they would conquer you. Hello. They would Sorry. they would take anything useful that your people could do mm-hmm. and they would like integrate you. Into the cap, they like bring you to the capital. They integrate that. Oh, and like like Christianity. Yeah, where they're and then, like, and, oh, that pagan ritual. Yeah, you, you like that? that. Yeah, we'll keep it. That's and fine. then and then they would and then they would transport you. Like if you were like one of the people in the novels, the Chachapoya, which were like the cloud walkers, and they were like these blonde, blue eyed, like medicine people that lived kind of to the north of Lima. And uh, because of their position on the river, they did a lot of trades. So they knew all about herbs and and what and what medicines worked for what. And so people thought they were very like shamanistic people. Okay. And so like they would be taken, and then they would be sent like forty miles north or south. Okay. So they would be in completely unfamiliar like. Oh, so, it would disorient so they, them. So, so they couldn't like they couldn't rebel. Like, they, couldn't they couldn't regroup. Yeah. And okay. so, like, that's why I say, like, the Borg. It's like they'd kind of eat it and then, like, and then integrate everybody and, and kind of. And then redistribute so- it so that they could take away their power, essentially, right? Yeah. Okay. Cause so they didn't leave people to incite, incite rebellion in their own homes. Right. Because you know where to hide in your own valleys and villages. Right. You do not if, if you, it's like slavery. Yeah. When, when we mm-hmm. brought all the slaves over from Africa, they, yeah. they couldn't go back. Yeah. And they were all from different tribes. Yeah. And so they couldn't. It was hard to create anything cohesive out of that. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So, um, but when the Spanish came over, when Pizarro came over, um, it was, it was, 
It was already kind of in decline. They, well, they, there were, there were the two, there were two brothers, Adawapa and his brother were, were like fighting over like who was really in charge. Because when you have an empire that vast, you know, it's like you start to have these divisions. Like they're, they're naturally going to occur where it's like you've got the brother that's like the runner up for power that's like been put in charge of the southern part of uh, the empire. And so now he's he like, wants I'm to actually like, emperor. Like, right. It's like, so there's already that infighting. And then, uh, the Spanish arrive, you know, relatively like, not prepared to deal with the whole empire, but they came in, uh, abducted Atahualpa and, uh, ransomed him for gold or whatever. But it, like they did it so fast. It's like they came in on their horses, they dazzled, whatever they got him. And the people were like, holy shit. Like he got our emperor. Like they must right. be fucking powerful. Right. You know? And so, and cause they, no one had been able to unseat any of these people for right. Like, uh, how long was the Incan empire? Was it a hundred years? I think if I'm remembering right, like they think that the Incan empire, like kind of emerged probably f- around the same time that Columbus discovered, uh, or not okay, discovered, so- but encountered the Taino people in the Caribbean. So they, they think like 1400s, like, okay. Like, like that's, when it, that's when it kind of like, we're an empire. Like we're the Inca. Now we're going to do this, this thing. Okay. So that's when it kind of started. And yeah. when did, what's his face come and he arrived, snatch out of- he arrived in, uh, he had conquered them and he had established Lima, Peru by 1535. Okay. So, so 40 years, 50 yeah. years. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, so once they, the way that they were able to sustain that defeat though, was because people like the Chachapoya, these defeated tribes, like help started to help the Spanish oh, right. fight the Inca because they right, were like, right. fuck those guys. Right, right. Let's get out of this. Yeah. But it's a, it's a testament to like how much environment also plays a role in that kind of stuff, which is because, uh, because the roads are narrow and high and deeply forested. Um, they were never able to make the Spanish were never able to really make prog- any headway like inland. It, because the, the oh, terrain was, the terrain was just too difficult yeah. to, to, to get in there and, and like. So did they attack from, from the Pacific, from the sea? Yeah. From the mm-hmm. ocean? Okay. They landed, like Ottawa came out with this, this whole retinue or whatever and like, it was like four Spaniards, you know? And like, they were and like, they, oh, that guy seems important, let's grab him. And, 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 uh, they basically, yeah, like they basically did a little, a little skirmishing and, and, and it was also like out of Wapa's fault. Cause I'm, I'm going to fudge this year, but there was something where it's like, he either had a seer or a dream or something. It was like, he was, so, he believed so much in his own God and uh, God imbued power that like a little cause, arrogant. Cause everyone was saying like he, if he had just sent a messenger instead, if he had just like waited, he, he out, it's like they outnumbered the Spanish, like a million to one. Right. You know, and like if he had, but he was so cocky in that God had chosen him mm. to rule that he went himself. Yeah. That he just showed up like it'll be nothing. And like, right. and wasn't prepared for like guns and horses and shiny armor, like, yeah. you know, and all this kind of stuff that basically just scared the shit out of all of his, all of his, dudes. all of his fighters. Yeah, they yeah. were, they had never seen a horse before like right. that, you know, like that was, or, or metal. I mean, like, like armor like that, you know, yeah. like that kind of iron and iron tools and, and all that. And that stuff. weird helmet business and all that must've just yeah. sort of freaked because it was so very foreign. And, and, and like, I think it's just, you know, culturally, you know, you don't, defy the king but because they don't recognize his kingship it's like they're walking right up to a god and touching him you know it's yeah. it's like and i think people are just like whoa they must be really powerful because they're committing this taboo yeah. which is they're even talking to this guy yeah you know you're not even supposed to it's like oprah you're not supposed yeah. to look at her right exactly yeah. <laughs> you know so um yeah so that's that so there's like you know but like understanding that becomes like i wanted to write a story where it's like we 
incorporate all of these things so, so you can see how all of these things like come together at a point in time and then create the, this, a situation where, yeah, you know, like these, these sites of struggle, these power struggles, you yeah. know, but it's like, uh, and it's on every continent and it's yeah. in every, it's in every culture, but the cultures are so different that the fact that, you know, you end up a, a rabbit hole of, of, of Spanish history following like Spanish con- conquest. Yeah. When, Everything I've read has followed English conquest for some yeah. reason. I have no idea. But, uh, what, what, now you also were interested in French, right? Yeah. What, what happened? How did it, how, how does that go? Because I like, <laughs> you got I, that? cause I, as I was working backwards, <laughs> um, I, I, I wanted it to be sort of inclusive of, like, well, I'm French. My mom's French. So it's okay. like, there, there's, there's, from France or you have French she, ancestry? Uh, f- French and her father's born in France and she was, oh, so like, yeah. like it there is ancestry, but like very, yeah, yeah, like, second like generation. very, very yeah, immediate. Yeah. Like, yeah, like my Armenian, whatever. Yeah. It's all it's like, my yeah, grandparents super immediate. Are from yeah. Like yeah. I went to France to meet my French half of the family. So Eight. it's like still in living memory kind of thing. Um, he was also really into history. When I, when I was there visiting, he pulled out like all of these binders where he had tracked back our family history down to like the 1400s. Wow. Like this is where you come from. He had yeah. a great deal of pride for him. Like, like, like this is where we come from. This is the village we're from. This is the chateau that we owned. Right. This is like, you know, you're like, like I'm the last carrier of the mitochondrial DNA of, uh, Joseph Hart, that was the New Jersey representative that signed the Declaration of uh, Okay, like, like you know, like, but I know that, like, for him, it was like, you like, if you don't have kids, like, yeah, like it dies with you, you know, like <laughs> that kind of. I'm sorry, I heard the word midichlorians when you said <laughs> oh, mitochondria, mitochondria. <laughs> <laughs> which is a Star Wars, horrible Star Wars thing. But yes, fair enough. I think. <laughs> So, okay, so you have a vested interest in sort of French history. Yeah, and yeah. then I th- I think I just, the way it came to Spanish was, because I, I wanted the stories to always end up being, coming sort of, I wanted it to be coming back to America. And I think I was just like, well, the Spanish were the first people here, so let's look at it. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. The French were the first one to, like, really get in there. <laughs> right. So it did, be, it, like, it was French history to me. It was like... Okay, right, like let's take a, were... yeah, let's take a like a French care like a French person and then like yeah, like kind of follow like this generational thing, you know. And then I always just had a thing with American history because you know people always say that we don't have a culture here, that we don't have a history, that we're a baby, and and I'm always like we have like this rich and amazing history, and it's like really well documented, like better documented than than most because there was so much financial. Like I'm finding I could find documents that were like. Like uh, a slave was the modern equivalent of about twenty thousand dollars. Like um, the first time, like uh, like the first use of the word cracker, like Mm -hmm. was I think was like sixteen twenty four in a doc. Like like we have these documents because we were dealing with money and 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 all this kind of stuff. Where so people, you're saying there's so much documentation of five hundred years of history of 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 the of the. North America is so much better documented than the yes. last 5,000 years in Europe. In, yeah. In terms of like, like, but especially for if you're interested in like the social, like social interaction between like the, like the history of private life, which I think is what makes history compelling yeah. is, is when it becomes. I love that a, term. The history like, of private life is an awesome. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, it's like, 
I think that's what, you know, makes history compelling and interesting to people, you know, and it's like the boyfriends I've had or girlfriends I've had as I've been like drafting out the, these story ideas with like, well, tell me what happens to Una or whatever. And it's like, they're invested because yeah, it's, it's, the, it's a story. It's a, it's, it's like relatable. Like yeah, and, history is yeah. much more, it, much more interesting when you look at the people. Yeah. If you just look at, at events and dates and stuff like that, which is, Unfortunately, what a lot of history classes can be. Yeah. But those are, those are not the best history classes. The best history classes, I think one of my favorite history classes in college was, um, the history of science. And it explained different scientific theory from the perspective of the scientist who okay. had discovered it. Well, I don't have any of that information anymore, but <laughs> at the time I was, I was drawn into it. I was made more interested in science than I had ever been before. Because yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a particularly, sci- I mean, I like, I like the idea of science. I certainly mm-hmm. believe in climate change, right. but, uh, <laughs> and I certainly know that there are scientists out there who are very smart and, and on about these things and they're, and I'm, you know, they're not lying. Right. No, we're not living in the crucible people. People right. are not just coming up with shit. Right. So just to scare I mean, people are coming up with shit just to scare you, but it isn't climate change. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, I love. History is much more interesting if it is the individual. So, or when you can imagine yourself in those same circumstances. Yeah, when you, you know? when you look at sort of the bill of lading and the and the and the manifests, I mean, it does tell you more about what occurred. Like, if you can get some, like, like there are, there are housekeeper accounts which are supposedly mm-hmm. very fascinating. They are because, like, for me, like when I was like as I've been working on different novels, like. Obviously, this is like a the, my leaves of grass. This is going to be like a lifetime project. Right. But like, but um, I mean, the most interesting things come from stuff like that. Like when I was saying, like you had to be very creative. I like I was like you're. I wanted to set a scene, so I was like, okay, what would a house look like? What would people be wearing, and how would they talk to each other? And at a certain point, I had to call an antique dealer and say, uh, like. When did bathtubs, like, what, how, where would that be in the house? Like, what would the bathroom look like? And he said, Oh, no, no, no. They would, they didn't have bathrooms until, like, well, into the 1800s. Uh, the, the most houses would be one or two rooms and you would move furniture in the room throughout the day to follow the light because you didn't have electricity. Or oil, oh, right. oil was very expensive. And so you would open up the windows and then like where the light was through the day. You just move your chair around. Yeah. So he said, he's, he's like, uh, um, awesome. like, be- you know, beds, <laughs> like the most expensive item in the house would be the bed, the bedstead that would be passed down through generations. Um, makes sense. Uh, but yeah, like I'm a huge fan of lying down. A table could be the dining table. Then it's the work bench. Then it's it just depending on. Like the time of day. The time of day. Yeah. But he, he, he said bathtubs, uh, it would be like in the kitchen or outside and, yeah. and you'd fill it with water and then, you know, everyone would take a turn mm-hmm. in the bath or whatever. Um, yeah. And like just, I, I read a, I wrote a book called, um, The Foul, Fragrant and the Foul, which was about the history of smell in the French social imagination. Um, what? but the history of what the history of smell and the French social imagination. Okay. But it was very interesting because I, one of the characters in the book, I wanted to have like a really keen sense of smell. Yeah. And I was like, I realized I don't pay attention to smells very much like in terms of trying to relate them to like, this is, well, this smells like this. Right. Um, but it kind of, modern was, society doesn't smell very much either. Well, and it's because it's considered like a, the, the history of smell is interesting because it's considered sort of a vulgar organ. The nose? Yeah. 
Interesting. You know, Why? and, uh, because it's the most animal part of our nature. Like, like I have a thing where it's like, if I'm about to, if I'm really sexually excited, I'll start to sneeze. And, and I was always like, didn't know what that was. <laughs> it was just like a weird thing, right? right? Like if I got really, really turned on, I might start sneezing. And right. it turns out that like when you're aroused, your nasal tissue swells. Okay. And so that can trigger like, and oh, I, what I found out is like a lot of people have that thing where it's like, it can, it can trigger like your, you start oh, seeing yeah, because yeah. your nose thinks it's congested or whatever, but it's just like the, the, the tissue in your, in it's your, it's just, it wants, it's a, it's like a sensory reaching you're, out. Kind you're of smelling thing. the pheromones. And so one theory is that the reason smells always been kind of whatever is because it's related. It's our most animal sense. It's okay. like kind of the first thing that we have. Okay. And, and whether we realize it or not, it's actually, the thing that triggers our memory the most immediately. Okay. And like, like smell is actually the thing that is like the most primitive part of our brain where in, in interfacing with the environment, the first thing and the most powerful thing that's going to stay with us is the smell of things. Interesting. Um, and so like perfumes and th- like smell used to be a really big deal back in the day before they had sanitation, before they had all this stuff. So I was reading these things where it was like a doctor was talking about like, Oh, the children's ward is the worst. Yeah. Oh God, the women's ward. It's, it's so awful, especially if they're on their period. Oh right. my God. You know, because ev- there was no vent, there was no air conditioning. There's no ventilating system. There was, there was right. no nothing. Right. You know, and there were like, people were still using latrines. And, and so it was really interesting. To say and it's bed like, pans underneath the bed mm-hmm. that they didn't, then they yep. had to empty. Yep. And you're like, Mm-hmm. And they didn't know about ventilation. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. That's, yep. uh, that sounds very stinky. Yeah. That sounds super, super stinky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, but like, like, so I don't know, but I like, I like, I find little things like this where it's like you, you find history in weird places and you, you're able to slowly start to piece together what daily life must have been like. You yeah. Know, when, when you read like, oh, people didn't drink water so much because they didn't have ways to make it potable. Yeah. So they drank something called sour wine, which was like just enough wine in the water to basically keep it purified. So it's okay. just enough alcohol. Yeah. So you can really get drunk off of it. Yeah. But it was, it was enough to basically keep the water so make potable. It safe. Yeah. Yeah. It would, it would kill whatever tiny bacterium, yeah. but they didn't know why they were drinking it because they didn't right. know about tiny bacteria. Well, yeah. It's like when they figured out that you couldn't dig wells next to latrines, like that took a long time for people to figure out, you right. know, like just stuff like that. And they're, they're like, well, let's just put the water next to where all the thing is happening and then it'll all be in the same place. Well, they like, like, um, the bathing was like, like I was just, I went to the Chateau de, de Versailles and, uh, we were like walking around and. They're like, you know, it used to stink really bad because like nobles, like really, like yeah. they would just go piss in a corner. Right. Like that was <laughs> fine. And like they said like Louis the 16th or whatever, like he, they're like, he smelled like death. Not because, <laughs> and they're, because so back in, like all of his family had died of smallpox. Okay. So he was definitely afraid of smallpox. And their understanding of medicine was like, if you took a bath, like your pores opened up. Which made you susceptible to, to, to anything kind of coming in. Okay. And so he didn't bathe out of like this deathly fear that he would catch smallpox or whatever. Wasn't you know? he the one who got his head chopped off? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That'll kill you too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like just think about, think about like, like his Marie Antoinette, you know? Yeah. Some guy that never bathes. Like, right. Ever. Right. And uh, what, what's weird <laughs> is I just read this. I, I, um, was reading. Um, 1776 by, uh, David McCullough. Mm-hmm. And he was 24 in 90, in uh, 1775, uh, Louis the 14th. Uh-huh. Everyone was 20 
Everyone who took part in the Revolutionary War was like a baby. Mm-hmm. Like Hamilton and, and, yeah. Burr and all those guys were 19, 20 years old. Yeah. But you don't think about it is King George was also in his early twenties, um, in 1775, uh, the King of England, mm-hmm. as was the King of France. Mm-hmm. And they're all just like, when I think about a 24 year old being in charge. Well, isn't that why in the constitution they said the president has to be at least 30? That's why they wrote that in there. Oh, is that one of the, like you have to be 35 also, also so that there would never be a woman president. Cause I've never met a woman over 35. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) But like, no, but I think that's why they wrote it in. Cause they were like, this shit's, this is crazy. Like she's crazy. Like we are not having babies rule our country. And it's like, yeah, I think it was basically Ben Franklin was like, I'm old enough to know that, that I can be absolutely convinced of something and a few years later know completely different to be true. Yeah. So like that was. From all the accounts, it seemed like Ben Franklin was the only sane one of like the rest <laughs> of them were just kind of just, I mean, not that they weren't admirable qualities, right. <laughs> but he was the only one who was old enough to go, yeah, you know, this is a great idea and we got to do this. This is going to be great, but don't. Don't give away the baby with the bathwater. You know, well, I think it's, I think it's like generationally too. It's like you just like, because I, I did spend time teaching. It's like you just like the thing I've learned is like some people just get it and some people don't. When I first started teaching, I mean, I was just a TA, but like when right. I first, you know, and I was, I was young. I was dealing with people that were only like a few years younger than me. I was like right. 21 and they were like 18, but like. I had, I was very idealistic. I was like, you know, it's like everyone's like nurturing and the right kind of, you know, teaching or whatever. Like they, they should be able to get through to anything. Yeah. And, um, and after I started, started teaching, I came to be like, no, some people, like some people get it and some people don't. Cause it's like the class I was teaching was English one, but I mean, honestly, it's the, it's there, there's a statistic that says like, if you pass English one, you're most likely going to like go on through. But if you struggle there, you're probably going to struggle. I'm like, it's not because of the writing. It's because English one is where you learn critical thinking. Okay. And, and not, but you can't, you can't teach critical thinking, but it's well, like, it's like that thing where I'd pull someone aside to be like, okay, well, what is the purpose of the paper? Mm-hmm. You know, like, what are you trying to accomplish by telling me this information? Who right. are you talking to? Okay. Like, like, like trying to get a student to order their information. Just, yeah. Just by, try to find the right way, right. If you could just find the right question sometimes, like I know right. people who teach and they're like, there are tricks to jumpstart a kid that has not been able to learn in this environment. And they're right. like, there are tricks that you can use. And, and if you, I guess if you teach long enough, I mean, I have never taught, I taught head start once for 16 weeks. <laughs> I was uh, 19 anyway. And they were 16 and I was just slightly cooler than they were. And that's how, well, that was my power base. Right. Guess what? That's not a great power base. That's a terrible way to, uh, oh, I, it was, it was a huge struggle for me when I was teaching. But I think, like, the thing I, I came up with was like, I think just like every generation you get people, like you get your Stephen Fries. Yeah. You know, you, you get that guy, you get your Benjamin Franklin and you just hope to God they're in a position of public trust. Right. You know? Right. Like, and, and, I and wish Stephen Fry that. like held a political office. I really do. <laughs> like, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's right. like, I think it's like, like we just lucked out. Like we got one. Yeah. Like we got one in there. Like yes. he was in the room. Right, like, there was a good guy in the room. Yeah, when when it happens, and there's so much, it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to fig to try to figure out how to how to I don't, I'm trying to say three things at once. Great mm-hmm. idea, good idea. Here at just, minute fifty-five, just relax, just just relax, just get into it, man. Yeah, but I think that there's there's so many 
I love what you're doing where you're trying to figure out like the stories from the perspective. I think that that's yeah. so important. And, and it's, it's almost, it makes it, it's much more compelling and it's a much better way to look at history than we have a tendency to. I mean, it's great to be able to rattle off dates and, and, and geography and, yeah. and all these different things, but to know the story behind the woman who, who actually, like there was a supposedly a woman, it's a, it's apocryphal, but uh-huh. there's a woman in the Civil War or the Revolutionary, who knows what war it was. Um, but her husband was a cannon loader guy. He, and he got shot and she had been there delivering a sandwich. Who knows what she was doing, but she took over for him. Mm-hmm. And her name, uh, is a couple of different names, usually Molly something, but she's in any number of statues. There's any yeah. number of like, like in front of courthouses where there's a woman and there's a dead guy sitting next to her that's supposed to be her. Yeah. Uh, her husband. And, um, and I, I want to know her story. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, no, like there's so, and there's so many stories like that too. Like I have a character like that that comes into the novel because there's this woman, uh, Jean Beret that was the first woman to circumnavigate the globe. Oh, and wow. she did it uh with a on Bougainville's mission. She was the assistant, the valet to the botanist that was on board and she was a woman in disguise when they got to everyone no one knew it and they got to Tahiti and the natives in like two seconds were like Oh what's with the you, lady? you fucked our girlfriend, can we fuck yours? <laughs> and like like but that's how it how like it was discovered. You know wow. and, and so it's like written about but like I got interested in that and like there's uh on Retronaut there's a there's a collection of photos, Civil War photos of uh women that oh, were women fighters. Yeah. That were dressed yeah. as men, that were like passing as men. That, oh, that Sarah Vowell book, the, uh, the semi-United States and, uh, the, and the history of Marquis de Lafayette, whatever. Um, there's a little anecdotal story of a French spy from the French and Indian War, from the Seven Years War, uh-huh. who dressed as both a man and a woman, was a woman in the Russian court and was a spy, was a man in the British court. Oh, that's so awesome. And, right. And so, they sent a playwright to ask and, and he, she was constantly like threatening to give all these. And this was after the seven years war, after uh-huh. the French and Indian war and was threatening to turn these, these plans of how France was planning on invading London in 17, you know, back in 1760, whatever. But he still had the plans in his head and he was like, well, if you guys bother me, I'm just going to tell the British what those plans were. And then the, that, that plan would be ruined forever. Uh-huh. And so the King sent this playwright to go kind of talk him down, talk him or her down. And the conversation was fascinating with, with the spy because mm-hmm. the playwright said, you can come back. We'll promise you no jail time. And the, he was dressed as a man and he uh-huh. said, well, I'd love that. No, no jail time would be great. And he said, we, we would give you your pension from when you served in the army and you could live out your life. And he goes, yeah, no jail time because I'm actually a woman. And, um, and the playwright was like, okay, well then the only part of our deal is you have to live out your life as a woman. And he goes, okay. So he, he does eventually go back to France and the postmortem was he was actually physically a man. Uh-huh. But he had lived out his life as a woman and had lived both as a man and a woman. Right. And in, that's gotta be like, 
That's fascinating. The greatest, that's like, the greatest story in the world. Where yeah. Why, why is that a footnote in the story, Sarah Vowell? Please write a book about that guy. But like, I mean, I think the reason I wanted to write these stories is, be, is because I feel like, like there are all these amazing women and it's like, as a woman, I'm like, I want my heroes. Like I want them back. You yeah. know, they are out there and I want them back. I, I want these stories to be told. I want to hear these stories about like, you know, the, like the female genocide, yeah. also, AKA the, the Salem witch trials, you know, right. like that kind of thing where I'm like, yeah. like I want all that stuff back, you yeah. know? And it, and it feels like, you know, we're finally in a position to, to be able to like, we might be able to unearth a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Sovereign Sire, you have been a fascinating guest on the Dork <laughs> Forest, you. may I say. So I love Sov, S-O-V, dot com. Yes. At Sovereign Sire on Twitter, Sovereign underscore Sire on Instagram and stuff like that. Your podcast is called Observations by Sovereign Sire yeah. on iTunes. And uh thank you so much for being on thank the show. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And Rangers, you know the rules. Take care of each other out there. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat, my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh, my God. We, why don't we just call that as the end of the show?